I suppose we should just have a Thanksgiving concert the rest of the morning. I don't know that it's biblical that music ministers the word to our hearts, and that uh, can't be more clearly uh, illustrated to us than what we enjoy together, hearing from you in song and then uh, from these saints and their ministering of music to our hearts. So thank you. Praise God. Um, I know you don't want thanked, and so I guess I'm going to retract my thankfulness, and I'm just going to thank God. How's that? Thank God for you, and thank God for all of you, because believe it or not, I'm trying to listen as much as I can to when you sing around me, because there's uh, the ministry of the word from you to me while you sing. What's beautiful about music in a New Testament context, it has zero performance value to it. It's not a performance, right? It's all ministering to one another. It's all ministry. And you do that as excellently as you can. And um, it's necessary. So the word of God is, our hearts are instructed with the word even through music and so thank you for, for helping me out in that regard. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, this morning, we do have a, a glorious testimony by way of a baptism this morning that um, I don't want to prematurely distract you under the influence of that testimony, but for those of you that have endured a particular hardship in your life um, and you may wonder if God's grace is sufficient to help you through it. I think this testimony is going to assure you that it is. And uh, it's a beautiful testimony of a gal that's been born again and wants to follow the Lord in baptism. So you'll want to pay particular int uh, interest uh, today as well. Second Corinthians chapter 4. We'll look at verse 7 and read through verse 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So verses 7 through 10 is really one thought. It's a powerful, loaded thought for sure. And then he has another here in verse 11 and a final one in verse 12. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us but life in you. We said last week that there's this reality we all enjoy that's found in the first line of verse 7. But we are always having this treasure. We are always having this treasure. This is the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ as we've understood the gospel and we've surrendered our will to his lordship. And with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, anything that we endure... Anything that we persevere through is certainly in demonstration of the spirit and power of God, that the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Any, 
any reality of a changed life that we're able to live is all because of God's power in Christ and the gospel. And we said last week that we were going to move on into a spiritual resolve that we all enjoy. I'm not going to tell you that you must have this. I think uh, I'm not going to tell you that some of you don't and need to. What I'm going to tell you is this is the resolve that a spirit-filled believer enjoys. Because I'm assuming your hearts are prepared. We're here to hear from heaven through God's word this morning. And uh, I'm just going to preach this resolve as if you all have it. How's that? Right? So what's this resolve? Um, Paul begins here with four paradoxes that we already read through in verse 8. This is a resolve to persevere through life's most difficult and arduous circumstances particularly in relationship to um, ministry and living the Christian life, right? Uh, Affliction and difficulty that comes in ministry or by living the Christian life is of its own particular unique kind and pain, right? All kinds of affliction in the world, all kinds of difficulty that everyone lives through, saved or unsaved. But when you're saved and it's affliction or difficulty, of a spiritual sense, if, it's its own, if it is of its own kind, unique, and of its own unique pain. Okay. I remember playing a lot of board games growing up, and some of them weren't board games. They were just silly games. I remember playing a game called Kerplunk. Do you remember that game? Uh, I don't, for all, all the people that are under 40 are just with blank stares right now. You, <laughs> you can Google it later. But what it was, it was a plastic tube, and, and you would, it was full of holes on the bottom. You'd take a bunch of sticks, remember that? And you just drive the sticks through the base of the plastic tube, right? And then you'd fill the tube with marbles, right? And it's kind of like a marble Jenga, right? You just kind of slip the sticks out, right? And the more sticks that get pulled out, everyone gets more nervous that the next stick they pull, Right? they're going to lose all the marbles, right? That was a stressful game. <laughs> somehow, somehow it always fell to me to pull that last stick, and the marbles would always go all over the place. And that was, that was kerplunk. It seems like it was a, uh, a, a mess that was unstoppable and, and yet somewhat uncontrollable as well. I think a silly illustration like that... Um, can translate into a spiritual realm in the sense that there's sometimes we feel like all the marbles have fallen, especially in our personal existence as as believers. And there's all kinds of crashing noises that life makes time and again that are unavoidable. What can make it more difficult for the Christians is this. The suffering and the difficulty that believers endure in this world often influences the deepest part of our being and at times can seem like death could be even a better option than enduring life. Elijah realized that, didn't he? In 1 Kings 19. At these times, as low as they are for us, the grace of God compels us. It literally squeezes us to pour ourselves into the Scripture and to realize the very presence of God within us by the Holy Spirit, 
and wrestle through what we are enduring with his divine help. And he does help, doesn't he? He does help. A favorite author of mine said, suffering reveals not only the weakness of man, but truly the glory of God. The glory of God, the greatness of this treasure within the Corinthian believer, within us, is spiritually and visibly recognized in our collective resolve to persevere under extreme affliction. What a timely passage this is for all of us right now, isn't it? For so many reasons. Paul uses, as I've already said, and we've already read, four paradoxes in verses 8 and 9 to explain the extreme nature of the difficulty. But I want you to notice the second word of verse 7 again. We, this pronoun, um, continues to be um, applied <laughs> or written into the text all the way through verse 10. These afflictions we endure together. There are times where the Apostle Paul uh, was uh, seemingly suffering alone, but he says to the Corinthian believers that they're not in that place. And you know what, folks? Neither are we. We can endure these things together by God's grace, by his power, uh, for his glory. We are, we will, and we should. So he points out that these extremes are realities we could face, we will endure, or we are currently experiencing. But here he describes to vulnerable but growing saints, this is what we endure together. And he says here, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The word afflicted here just means to be hunted. To be hunted. We're hunted down, but we're not crushed. The word crushed here is to be hemmed in without escape. And he says here, no, we're hunted down. We could be crushed, but God's often given ways of escape. He says we're perplexed, but we're not despairing. The word perplexed here, as it would have been understood in the first century, is to be deeply anxious and to be in serious doubt. He says, but we're not despairing. The word despairing here just simply means to be fearing losing our own physical life. He says we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. The word persecuted here, as it would have been understood in the first century, is, is a systematic and organized effort to oppress or to harass somebody. Paul says, yeah, I've experienced that. We've experienced that, he says, but we're not abandoned. We're not abandoned. He says we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. To be struck down is just means to have a serious physical pain inflicted upon us, but we're not destroyed. And the word destroyed here would have been um, understood that your reputation would have been ruined in a community because you would have been walking around having been made literally black and blue by someone who was hunting you down. So in other words, if you were seen to have been beaten, you would have had no reputation in that town. But he says, nope. We have inflicted, have had inflicted upon us serious physical trauma, but we still have a testimony. We still have a testimony. One of the fascinating realities of living these difficulties is that they are lived consistently. 
This is seen in the use of the present tense in this context. Life and circumstances are closing in from all sides, and you may be crushed, but in every and all situation, Paul finds an escape contrary to human probability. Reminds us of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, doesn't it? I think it's good for newer believers to kind of journey over a few pages to your left, and let's read that verse together, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It's a great reminder for us, especially those of you who are younger believers who are just enduring your own newfound spiritual affliction and difficulty since you've been saved. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Okay. We're going to point out, I think Paul points out here in numerous ways, or a handful of ways where escape can be found. We're going to look at a couple other unique and divine ways that God has planned for us to find escape from temptation or difficulty. But there is a way out that God has uniquely designed for you in every particular affliction as you endure it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, From here on out, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the brands or the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul states that what Christ endured, he says, I'm enduring. And I'm enduring them for the same reason. For the believers, where does the resolve to push through such layered affliction come from? Well, we already read it in verse 7, right? It's very, very clear. The greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. The resolve to push through extreme spiritual persecution and difficulty for the Christian is divine. It's sourced in the grace of God. Our strength to endure is from God, his word. And sometimes he even arranges other believers to enter our environment and come to our spiritual aid as well. Do you recall the Lord had already used Titus as a source of encouragement in Macedonia? Do you remember that back in chapter 2? Paul was feeling frantic anxious felt like he was falling apart because he was in fear over how the corinthian church had responded to his first harsh letter and he went to troas to find titus and titus wasn't there and he could hardly do ministry remember that because he was in such peril inside and then he went to macedonia and he found titus and the presence of titus by the grace of god made it all better God provided a way to escape for him through Titus. So he references that rendezvous of encouragement again in chapter 7, verses 5 through 7, if you want to write that down in your notes. Demonstrating for us again that the personal attention, the personal spiritual attention of another, another believer in the flock is an essential way of escape for you who are feeling in inescapable peril. This is something that we do together. 
And Paul knew that to be at the end of his resources is never to be at the end of God's resources. But let us never forget what one godly man said. Moreover, there is always the inner secret, the reassurance of divine grace within the earthen vessel of his physical frame, which ensures that no matter how narrowed his outward circumstances, his heart is not narrowed and confined, but enlarged and expanded by the liberating love of Jesus Christ. So, even when we're feeling all alone, and you may be physically alone, you're never alone, right? You remember Hebrews 13, chapter, chapter 13 and verse 5, where the Lord promises he will never leave us, nor what? Nor forsake us. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me uh, this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read verse 9 and 10, and then verse 16 and 17. This is Paul's last hours on earth. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And what? Praise God for Luke, right? Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Verse 16 says, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. But may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was able to prove that even though God's people may be hunted and afflicted from every side, they are a blessed people. And through everything, they should rejoice and be glad. Jesus even included that in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? In chapter 5 and verse 11. Advantaged are you, blessed are you, when you are persecuted for my name's sake. The historian speaks of the life of Christostom and William Tyndale. Chrysostom, the golden tongued preacher, driven by unscrupulous enemies from his cathedral in Constantinople was hunted like a beast through the inhospitable wastes of Armenia until after enduring extreme torments of mind and body he succumbed to his sufferings on September 4th, 407 AD, AD 407. He too, though united for Christ's sake, rejoiced in the knowledge of not being forsaken as his dying words attest. Glory to God for all things, even affliction. Amen. William Tyndale, whose only crime was a determination to obey his call from God to translate the Bible into the English tongue. He was another who was hounded into exile 
again by fierce adversaries of the truth from within the church and hunted from place to place on the continent. He was enabled, like Paul and Chrysostom and numerous others in every age, including our own, to finish his course with joy as a martyr for the sake of his Redeemer on October 6, 1536. Yes, there are times when the Christian servant may seem to be pursued, hunted, and even overtaken in death. It appears that they may have been beaten senselessly. Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, the book that we're studying, in deaths or various kinds of deaths that he was facing often, but he was not destroyed And we'll go on to find out this morning, even in death, he would find himself never to be destroyed. Paul experienced his greatest time of affliction when hostile Jews from Antioch and Iconium pursued him to Lystra, stoned him, and after dragging his lifeless body into the city, left him to die, but he was miraculously raised up and restored with vigor. You see, even in death, which is the end of this earthly existence, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul even said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is... He says in 1 Corinthians 15.56 that the very sting of death is removed for the serving, hunted, and slain saint of God. godly man said even to die is not to be destroyed but to enter into everlasting bliss and to receive that crown of righteousness that 2 Timothy 4 6 through 8 describes Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 that our lives are hidden with Christ in God the whole of our lives are hidden with the whole of his life. We often say here at Grace Church of Menor, right, our church mission statement. We exist to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ-likeness, right? With the goal of Christ-likeness. We're okay with his character and his nature, but are we okay with the way he actually lived his life? Are we okay with the way he actually finished his course on this earth? With the goal of Christ-likeness. You see, even in death, the believer enters his glorious rest he has in Christ where his resurrected body sits at the right hand of the Father. The Christian life is completely indestructible when hunted and afflicted, or when in the sleep of death one enters into everlasting bliss to receive that crown of righteousness. Those religious ones who sought to afflict and even kill the faithful, they couldn't couldn't grasp that persecuted life, that the persecuted life of the saint is considered blessed and joyful and even in death rewarded. The life of an afflicted believer on earth is the exact life of the believer glorified and rewarded in heaven. This is the inheritance of the life of Christ that is ours. 
The person Christ who lived on earth is the same divine human person that dwells with the Father now. He's the same human that will return and receive his own into himself as he offers eternal reward. A godly man said that the death, resurrection, glorification experience is the climax of the triumph of God's power working in us. As a matter of fact, Paul uses verses 10 and 11 that we've already read to describe the why and the how the vulnerable but persevering Christian actually resolves to push through extreme difficulty. Notice two times, if you look at verses 10 and 11 back in chapter 4, right? the phrase may be manifested is used. What is to be manifested? It's the life of Jesus Christ is to be manifested. It's manifested in our mortal flesh, and it's manifested in our body. And this is the whole purpose as to why we go through varying degrees of difficulty. This is the purpose, so that the life of Jesus Christ may be manifested through you the way he lived in his character, possibly even the way he suffered, possibly even the way he died. Because we know the certainty of a resurrection, and we know the certainty of eternal reward. You see, it's the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not us. The divine ability is sourced in our own indwelling Holy Spirit as he compels us to live the life of Christ with great resolve. You see, friends, there's a holy confidence, a, a divine intentionality with which a believer lives life under great duress. And it's all done fueled by divinity. Christ's very life was underpinned by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's heart was compelled to do the will of the Father who sent him. And every aspect of Christ's life we know and adore is the similar life we chose to live. And his grace compelled us to accept the moment that we were born again. Paul asserts in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 that through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world had been crucified to him and he to the world. Christ, it is true, has left the Christians an example to patience and perseverance in suffering. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. The writer of Hebrew tells us that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that they who wish to come after him must daily take up their cross and follow him. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Between master and follower, there is a unity of experience and destiny. There is a fellowship of Christ's 
sufferings, which means a conformity to his death. Philippians 3, verse 10. Martyrdom for Paul was confined to a moment in Rome, and it was expressed daily and constantly in his dying, living existence. The word fellowship simply means, in Philippians chapter 3, to have all things in common. The Christian life is the living of the dying of the Lord Jesus. And the living of the dying of the Lord Jesus is the glorious reality that we endure as he endured it by divine help from heaven. So, when the dying while living or dying and entering glory, the life that God had for Christ and us to live is the very glory he had intended for us in eternity past. Verses 10 and 11, we must understand that the dying of Jesus cannot be separated from the life of Jesus because it's all part of his life. The prince of life cannot be overcome by death, and neither can you as his children. And as we enjoy the fullness of the life of Christ, even death cannot conquer us. A godly man said that conformity to the death of Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings is experienced in the power of his resurrection. It is in this way that the all-sufficiency and soul-sufficiency of God's grace is demonstrated to the world and that the Christian finds that God's power is made perfect in weakness. The life of Jesus is his dying. And while this may be a wonderful reality of our present situation, our present reality in Christ only points to even more glorious consummation. As the word goes on to instruct us that the life of Jesus and the believer will be revealed in its entire fullness only at the appearing of Christ when at last our present earthen vessels will be transformed into the likeness of his glorified body. Union with Christ extends from suffering to glorification. And the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in us as taught by Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. He who has died with Christ will also live with him, and he who endures will also reign with him. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. So like Christ, we will never find ourselves in a disembodied state Life can't be separated from life, so life can't be separated from the body, and the body can't be separated from life. The Lord Jesus Christ never experienced, after his incarnation, life without a body. And neither will you. For to be without a body is to be less than human. And the fullness of humanity is realized only when at last man's body is conformed to the body of Christ's glory. So Christ lived with confident humility and resolve under the greatest duress. And by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God as God's adopted children, we will as well, we are as well until we see him. For we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen.
You can cross-reference here in the margin of your Bibles if you probably already haven't done it. Romans chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, where Paul says, Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly are conquerors through him who loved us, right? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so with that, by God's grace, we find great resolve to persevere regardless of the degree of difficulty that we're experiencing and Paul says here in verse 12, as he wraps up this little paragraph, so death works in us, but life in you. That could be a puzzling little sentence if you're not careful with it. You know, it has been glorious to see your friends recently come to know Christ. It's been you living the life of Christ before them that God has used to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ in a very personal way. It is your Christ-likeness that God has used to bring them to Christ. And it is the very life of Jesus Christ from our birth, life in him, dying in him, glorified at the resurrection by him, that when lived before others becomes the influence of God upon the life of the soul that's in need of salvation. This is why Jesus came in Mark 10, 45, isn't it? He came and became a human because he didn't want to be served. He came to serve and to give his whole life inclusive of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again life <laughs> so that people would be saved. This was the life mission of Christ. This was a fully lived life unto death so that others may live. So is the life of one of God's adopted children in Christ. We are grafted into the life of Christ so we can live his life for his purpose. Quote I wrote down some time ago. It says, It is the unconquerable life of the risen Jesus within that enables his servants willingly and perpetually to be handed over to death for his sake in order that the same life of Christ may be kindled in the hearts of others enabling them to turn and win others. This is the chain of faith, which is a true secession from the apostles, and it remains unbroken through the ages. It reminds me of Christ's words, whosoever will lose their life for my sake shall find it. It's a life exchange, or should I say it's a, a life, two lives uniting as to the purpose of their existence and the way they live and the way they die and the way they enjoy reward and glorification. 
You know, in the world's eyes, you may be losing your life. You might be losing out on really experiencing what life has to offer. But no, my friends, I tell you what Paul says in Galatians 4.19. He says, I will remain in great travail until Christ is formed in you. We are in him. We are forever reconciled, but we are growing in Christ-likeness. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Until we understand the purpose of his life, the way it was lived, and the way it ended, and the way it was resurrected, until the way it was glorified, until we understand its eternal purpose, I'm going to continue to be in travail till Christ is formed in you so that we truly can pursue Christ-likeness together. You say, well, Pastor Tim, that wasn't all that encouraging this morning. I, uh, there's a lot of death in there. Well, my friends, there's a lot of life in there too. Right? And the death quickly falls into the shadows of the light of the life of Christ. And for us, even death, there's no sting. Right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But my friend, if you thought that you would never live in a day where you would be hunted as a believer, maybe 2020's changed your mind a little bit. If people can be hunted down on streets and spit on in the face and kicked in the head, bludgeoned and bloodied over politics, right? what did Jesus say? Marvel not that the world hates you know that it hated me first. You live that life, you could be incurring the wrath of pagan men. The wrath of pagan religious men who are okay with Jesus, but they're not okay with his exclusive claims. But even potentially facing that, which by God's grace we won't. Right? Who for the joy that was set before him endured. He persevered. Right? And we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. Without each other, and certainly the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Right? Now, Remember, this message was given to a group of really vulnerable Christians in Corinth. Right? Much more vulnerable than we are today. But again, our culture, our times, could be describing for us, I don't know. And making you feel a bit more vulnerable than you did a year ago today. I don't know. Right? I would just ask you to continue to pour over this text, okay? 
pray over this text, as I've had to do, to make sure that I'm really okay with the way Jesus lived his life. And I'm, am I willing to pursue that kind of Christ-likeness? All underpinned by the help of heaven. All right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have. Uh, as Paul finishes this text with great resilience to allow the life of Christ in us to inf influence the life of another person who needs Christ. We've seen that happen. There's people in this auditorium this morning who have been watching the life of Christ and their friend. And now Christ has saved them. The Holy Spirit indwells them and they are being formed into Christ-likeness. We thank you, Lord, that in our most vulnerable times, you give us such rich truth. But God always wins, and in Christ, we will always win. That even death itself, our greatest enemy, has its sting removed. We embrace the... We embrace the words of Christ who said that I will never allow my righteous ones to see death. It's hard for us in our, in our finite minds affected by sin to, to wrap our minds around such celestial divine things. But we see, O oh Father, how you loved your Son through his time of peril. And Lord, we know that you love us with the same everlasting love. And you will love us until the end of the age. So grant us, Lord, a greater understanding of your grace to carry us, to bring us to a greater love for you, your word, and for each other, and for souls in our community that need the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.